Welcome to the Danny Goldberg Rock and Rolls Hour. In this podcast, Danny shares his longtime connection to the path of the heart, as well as his very engaged life of social activism. If you are interested in supporting Danny's podcast, please go to BeHereNowNetwork.com slash Danny. Hi, this is Danny Goldberg, and this is Rock and Rolls, and my guest today is one of my oldest friends, Pamela DeBar. She just finished her fifth fifth book, you said? Yes, my fifth book. First one, the legendary classic, I'm With the Band. Uh, and what's the f- what's this fifth one called? This and is called Let It Bleed, How to Write a Rockin' Memoir. Fantastic. So it's a book about writing. It's a book about women's writing workshops that I've been doing for many years now. And I've been, the great thing is I've been able to include a lot of my writer's work in it as examples. You know? Nice, nice. Yeah. And when when will that see? Uh, I think be it's going to be February. Public? February of seventeen. So yeah. keep your eyes open for it, and you should all read all of her books. They're all great. Thank you. One of them I'm in. I think the second one, right? You're piece in quite of my, a bit. Yeah. Piece of my heart. <laughs> I've got very good uh, visibility in that one. That Take another feel... little piece of my heart. A groupie yeah. grows up. Yeah. Yeah. I was very happy to uh, be there. Not not as a. As a, and know, a more. As a, not as an amour, but mm. as, a, as, a, as, a, as, a, as a pal. A bro. Um, and, of course, uh, first became known as a member of the GTOs uh, and uh, for the last dozen years uh, been doing a lot of uh, workshops teaching women. Mm-hmm. What, to tell a little, the workshops are to, to educate women about how to write? Is that... Well, yeah, it's uh, 16 years. Actually, the story is that my friend Moon Zappa, who I've known all her entire life, um, told me about a writing teacher in between my books. I always like to brush up and, you know, stay creative. So I went to this lady's workshop in the Valley, and I realized I should be teaching it, or I could be teaching it. So I thought, wow, this is something I might want to explore. It took me a little while to actually have the courage to do it. And then I did the, you know, the first one was at my house, and I still teach at my house in L.A., but then I started traveling. My first place was New York that I traveled to to teach, and I have big groups of women all over the country now. And it's about writing. It's memoir, yeah. mainly about their, themselves. Right. Well, you're, you're, one of the things you're very well known for is your friendships with many uh, rock geniuses and stars and also being a fan of many of them. And one of the first things I remember about you was how you said that two of your favorite people in the universe were Elvis Presley and Jesus Christ. Yes. And that's still the case, I I The king I and the king of kings. So, yes. <laughs> so, you know, it's it's uh, to some people would feel that it's incongruous that rock and roll is so much about uh, the body, about fame, about um, uh, sexuality, uh, and uh, Jesus' spirituality. How, how do those two coexist inside your head? Because it's been there the whole time I've known you. Yeah. Well, they're both rebels. I'm, I'm an, I love James Dean also for that reason, but breaking down preconceived notions or barriers, especially for men. James Dean and Elvis broke that down. And, and Jesus was the first you know, rock god, if you want to look at it that way, in that he was you know, not taking shit from anybody. He was uh, you know, carving his own path and reminding people of who they really are. And getting in a lot of trouble for it and actually getting killed for it. So he was the first rebel for, for me. And you, we were talking before this. You said you were not brought up particularly religious. This is something you came to yourself? Yes. 
when I was eight years old, I started going to church. I wanted, I had this inner itch, I call it, that, you know, I knew there was so much more to, to life than what was going on in my life, my little kid life. And I started going to church. My parents did not go to church. My my grandpa was a, a holy roller Pentecostal preacher. So my dad stayed as far away from that as possible. And my mom just had this inner peace anyway. She didn't feel like she needed to go to church, but I had that desire. So I took myself to various churches, Baptist, you know, Methodist, you know, and I was searching, seeking, and I fell in love with Jesus at that time. But there was a lot of guilt involved in at church. So the, the particular churches were a guilt about sinning and things yeah. like that. Yes, and they yeah. were putting words in his mouth. Which, you know, through the years, I I know now what he actually said in those red 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 letter you know words. But... Right, I love those Bibles where his words are in red. <laughs> yes. You could skip everything else. Yes, just well, yeah. read what he said. Yeah, <laughs> but he didn't say a lot of that, which I've discovered through the years. But yeah, yeah, he was all about. Well, he love. certainly didn't say it in English. <laughs> no, it that's Aramaic. for sure. Aramaic. <laughs> <laughs> Aramaic. And uh, yeah, I've read I've read so much about Jesus, and he was just all about love and acceptance, right? I mean, that's that's what he was about. So I was so, just telling and, you about Zootopia. That's what that's yeah. about. It's great when those things still come up. Well, stick with Jesus for a okay. minute. So you're a kid, <laughs> and you you have mixed feelings about going to church. Is what I'm hearing is well, that you didn't first, like the sort of guilt trips that were part of the sermons. Well, as a little child, I did get born again. I went to a church camp, Hume Lake Camp, and they pressured you. So the, if you didn't take the Lord as your personal Savior, something was really wrong with you, right? right. So I've, I was pressured to do it, but then I expected some sort of magical thing to take place inside my soul, and it just didn't. So I it doubled the guilt. So I had years of guilt that I wasn't really asking Jesus to be my Savior. Otherwise, I'd feel him inside my heart somehow, like you're right. supposed to. So I suffered and struggled through that for a long time. And and do, do you uh, did you pray about it or I did you talk lot. to him? Or? I talk to him all the time. Yeah, I still do. And you still do? Yeah. Oh yeah. And I always have, even even through the difficult parts. But I remember at fourteen, one of my pastors said in one of his sermons that dancing was a sin, right? Yeah. And I was already seriously dancing with the frug and the boogaloo and all the stuff you did, right? And I belonged to the teen center, and I was a really good dancer, and so. From that point on, I really questioned that. Yeah. Yeah. So I started looking through the Bible to find where dancing was a sin, and I could not find it. <laughs> <laughs> I really looked yeah. hard because I wanted to see if that was true. I didn't. I knew it wasn't. And so I did find this one passage, make a joyful noise unto the Lord, and I thought, and why can't you dance to that? So, right. So for the next few years, I still struggled with it, and especially when fornicating came along, you know, and, you know. It, it, it was that was supposed to be bad. And I thought, how could that be bad? Really, that's how we all got here. So anyway, a lot of questioning. So I think a lot of people went through th- that exact same questioning and and feeling that uh, religion, particularly the kind of the old school Western religions, were were um, repressive, particularly about sexuality. But a lot of people left religion because of that and define themselves as rationalists, as uh, ethical people, humanists. Uh, uh, you know, uh, I, I always felt, uh, you know, we were talking a few months ago about the hippie period. To me, 
what I was inspired by was not so much a rebellion against organized religion, but a rebellion against you know materialism, mm. which was kind of the dominant American theme. But so many smart people and people who entered sort of uh, the rock world, the show business world, the cosmopolitan world, just push spirituality away because of those kind of guilt trips. You didn't. How did you make the separation inside your head? Because I don't, I don't have a sense that you ever pushed Jesus away. You just pushed, I never pushed Jesus religion away, away right? because I figured he was innocent. He was called the lamb for a reason. And I was going to find out why this guy was called the lamb for myself. And so I started finding alternative books to the Bible and reading them, just trying to find. There weren't that many back then. Right. Uh, so around somehow, I, I wish I could remember exactly how I found Paramahansa Yogananda. But in high mm. school, I started taking the lessons that yeah. come in the mail. Yeah. Right. And he's best known for the ago. book uh, Autobiography of a Yogi. Huge influence on me also. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And uh, and I believe Elvis had that book. Did he not? Yes, he did. And and and. He also was involved in, you know, religious science. Yeah. Uh, he really, and and, yeah. and and George Harrison in the in the Scorsese documentary um, uh, talks about how uh, Autobiography of a Yogi was a huge door opener for him also. So so how old were you when you read that? You know, it could have been the Beatles influence because of the Maharishi, and from there I discovered Yogananda. Right. And I was sixteen. Yeah. So I had just wrestled with this whole Jesus thing. And to my absolute relief and joy, he also loved Jesus. Yes, yeah. that's so one that of the many. Such, yeah. such an awakening for me that I could read this amazing autobiography of Yogi and get these lessons every week. I think it was weekly. Yeah. And I'd studied those and, you know, worked with that. And he had, and I ordered the little altar and so his masters mm. were on there, and so was Jesus. Yeah, yeah, yeah. no, that the yeah. graphics, uh, and I'm sure a lot of people that are familiar with Yogananda, but for anyone who's not, uh, the altar is his guru, Sri Yukteswar, his mm-hmm. guru's guru, Sakuru uh, Lahiri Mahasaya, Babaji, the guru of the guru, yeah, the guru of the guru, guru, guru yeah. <laughs> and Jesus Christ. Yeah, That's, and Jesus Christ. And, and part of it, I think, was Yogananda had this sense of how to connect with the West, and how to be harmonious in America and not be a hostile alien. But uh, part of it absolutely came from, he writes about it a lot in the book, his his guru's belief that Jesus and Krishna are one. Yeah. And that's the... That's the and they're awakened the, masters. one light and different forms of the same thing. Yeah. And he also, along with Jesus, wanted us to know that these are options. This is an option for us too to, in quotes, wake up and be like they are. You know, it was not so. The church co-opted Jesus, co-opted him horribly. Right. And you know, we were led to believe that if we didn't accept him into our heart, it's it's now it sounds so weird to me, but we would go to hell. Yeah. And he never said that. Yeah, yeah. Yeah, I remember. I was, because uh, being named Goldberg, you know, was kind of Jewish. We weren't very religious. But in second grade, there was a girl named Carolyn Ricky who told me that all Jews go to hell. And it really soured me on Christianity oh. for mm-hmm. about 10 or 15 years. What what got me out of it was uh, uh, Martin Luther King, that listening 
to mm. his, there was this radio station that would play old sermons of his in, in L.A., and I'd be driving around. When, it got around the time I first knew you in the early 70s, and mm-hmm. he was such an obviously spiritual vibe that I knew he wasn't agreeing with Carolyn Ricky. Yeah, yeah. And I, was, <laughs> I got over it. And, Good. And, and I will say the Catholic Church did, uh, did change that doctrine you know, mm-hmm. some time ago. But it was actually the doctrine at that time. It wasn't just this kid's opinion. She got that from a global doctrine. Yeah. That well, up until the yeah. up until the late sixties uh, was was a thing. So well, in my churches too, unless you did what they told you to do, yeah, you're damned. You're, you're yeah. doomed. Yeah, my teacher, who you met, Hilda Charlton, believed the opposite. She believed many many paths to the same truth. Mm-hmm. All paths that believe in love and God, you know, have validity as long as they weren't uh, intolerant or uh, exploitative of people. And uh, that's that's. Uh, that's what I believe. So, so around the time by your teens, you're also connecting to the rock scene, to the '60s. We were talking about the Beans and the the explosion mm-hmm. of uh, hippie culture in the '60s, which I think a love that we both share for that. <laughs> and I know within a pretty at a pretty young age, you were meeting some of the great uh, rock artists like Jimi Hendrix and uh, uh, Keith Moon and others. D- do you connect your interest in spirituality with music? Do you think that's that they're interconnected, or they're just two separate lanes inside your your head? Because God knows you care deeply about both. Well, they're certainly not separated, because music to me is God, and any connection with great art touches the the highest part of you. You know, I've had experiences with Walt Whitman, for instance, my my hero poet, mm, right? Yeah. To where in, in, there's a, a line in in leaves of grass where he says you holding this book i'm here with you and it was like oh oh Mm. and i had chill i still get chills yeah all over me and i so there's there's no separation between the artist and the person looking or reading or accepting the art and you are exactly and totally at one with that person when you are connected through their art so i got that that was like so music same way you know i mean i've I've had experiences with Hendrix that I, I don't know if I can even talk about it here, but, <laughs> you know, can I? <laughs> I would hope so. <laughs> well, You're, as far as I'm concerned, I encourage you to please talk about it. Yes. Well, no, I was, you know, the no foxy restrictions. lady. I was the foxy lady in the video in 1967. I don't think of there being videos in there were. It, it was a short film. Right. Alan Davio was the director of that film, and he went later went on to work with Spielberg. He won Oscars and everything. But at the time, he was this young kid who I met at a love-in, and he said, I'm doing a short film with this band from England. No one had ever heard of them yet here. And This before Monterey? Yes. Yeah. And he said, would you like to dance in it? And of course... Anything about England and, you know, dancing, yeah. <laughs> so I went to this big, huge hippie house in the Hollywood Hills and walked in, and there was Jimi Hendrix. I mean, j- just standing there with that eyeball jacket on. <laughs> <laughs> and Noel and Mitch, of course, it was a Jimi Hendrix experience. And it was Foxy Lady. So I got to dance on a pedestal while they p- performed that thing all day long and he filmed it and I got to And play. that was the first time you'd heard that song it hadn't yes, been released yes, yet. Yes, hadn't been released yet. Wow. First time I heard the song and I actually was the foxy lady for that day and I and I was 17 and I frolicked around with him in, in these fields all day long and everything and Hendrix hit on me and uh and I was just too green. I was just too I could not 
I was a virgin. Mm. <laughs> Let's put it that way. <laughs> right, right. So, anyway, cut to many, many, many years later. Well, I wound up with Noel Redding. Right. Yeah, right. Okay. For, Not that day? For years. Or... Uh, well, we started hanging out that night, but right. he didn't pressure me because I was a virgin. And, he, you know, and, and it was very different in those days. So, but I was his L.A. girl for years. Um, but many years later, I was writing a book, my third book, called Rock Bottom. And I have a teacher kind of like you Hilda was for you called light and we go we do past life regressions and everything and I and I wanted to know I wanted a message from Hendrix so when I was writing the chapter about him I could feel closer to him hmm. right so she just laid me down like a past life regression and he appeared like that I mean he was there I could he was just in the air above me and I just asked him what, what the deal was. First, I wanted to know how he felt about his death because I had just interviewed Monica Daneman, who right. she th- believed she killed him, so much so that she killed herself. So really? after I interviewed her, yeah. Wow. She gassed herself in oh her garage. Oh, my gosh. Yeah. But he told me that wasn't the case. He said he was ready to go. It was totally planned out by his spirit ahead of time. It was, re- you know. Wow. Right? And then he said, I, I came here to accomplish something. And I got as far as I could, and it was time for me to go. And I said, well, what was that? And he played a note on the guitar that my entire solar plexus opened up like my my chest bones. Were, and it was like, <gasps> incredible sensation. It was beyond what I can explain. Wow. And And then he said... And that's as far as I could get. So it was, I, it was time to leave. And I said, well, you got pretty far. It's <laughs> pretty great. And I'd been in his audience many, many times yeah, and yeah. felt that. Right. So, but to, to feel it again directly from his spirit was like, whoa. Whoa. So I know that sounds pretty far out, but probably not to you. Well, you were... <laughs> I know you were friends with Chuck Wine. He's yes, he was he's, a big influence. He's passed on, yes. Yes, but he made a film called Rainbow Bridge. Yes, which is not which you're in. Yes, no. Oh. I met him right after okay. he did that. Anyway, I couldn't remember. Or you were in his next film, whatever. Yes. yes, but but I I would not tell anybody listening that this is the greatest movie ever made. But it does have some of the greatest Hendrix footage yes, it ever does. shot. Both him yes. talking yeah. and him playing. It's worth seeing just for and that. and it's totally worth seeing for that. And I remember this scene where he was kind of talking about some, whether it was a psychedelic experience or something where he, where he was like merging with the light and oh, it was yeah. like cattle all he going. He was way like, out there. So when, when you were, <laughs> I know you weren't as close to him as you were to, to, to Noel, but you must have talked to him of Yes, I was around him a lot. Around him a lot. Yeah. I mean, was, was, was that kind of uh, who he was a lot of the time? Or, or? Yes, he was always that. Yeah. He, was, he was pretty quiet. He was actually very shy. And he kept to himself a lot. But I remember one time with Chuck Wine, I was with Noel in New York uh, at their manager's house who died in an airplane crash. Do you remember his name? Uh, Michael Jeffries. Michael Jeffries. I was at Michael Jeffries' house. Yeah. And uh, Chuck Wine, we were all in the living room smoking pot and everything. And Chuck went into the room next door and he, he said, I'm going to call the archangels out of the corners if anybody wants to come and join me. Right. He he did this wherever we went. He would yeah. get in the middle of a room and go, Mikaelo. You know, he'd call them all out, right? And of course, we were all smoking pot. I was curious, but Hendrix walked right in there. He was the first person to walk in the room. Really? And when yeah. when Chuck was calling him, and I could still see it, 
because he was sitting on the, I could see, he was right at the edge of the door, and he was, he was looking, he wanted to see those angels. So he was always like that. Well, you know, I think we've both known people, and there were more of them in those days, but they, they, they still pop up, who were definitely in touch with something higher, mm-hmm. but who also are really screwed up in other ways. Yes. You know, and some of them, some of them become drug addicts. Some of them are not very nice people all the time or they don't always tell the truth. And there's a certain uh, kind of um, uh, rancid quality about certain <laughs> people that kind of combine spiritual shtick with uh, selfishness. Yeah. And uh, what do you make of that phenomenon? And, and, and how do you – you've, you've, how do I you've been an exemplar <laughs> of not being that way. You've always kept – kept on the on the path but but i wouldn't say how do you justify it but how how can we as as friends of people and as people just just kind of encourage what do we encourage what do we discourage in ourselves and in others to not be people that would make us cringe yeah <laughs> good question i think they were, a lot of them were conduits and i think they tapped into something some energy that was floating around at the time that was very important that some of us tap into and and they had the talent or the the desire that whatever it took to actually tap into that and express it for us but there were still human beings especially very young human beings we got to remember right yeah so young i mean at that time i was a bit of a mess but i was still a seeker i believe they were all seekers and at the time too most people didn't know what those drugs were going to do to us yeah didn't have a clue yeah yeah I went to a party with the ex- experience one time in New York, and I was walking behind all of them, and they were put their hands out like this, and people put drugs in their hands, yeah, and they took them all without knowing what they were taking. Yeah, without I did that once. I was walking down the street in uh, in Berkeley, and a guy said, "Hey, man, have a drink of this; it'll blow your mind." Oh. <laughs> and it was like something mixed in with chocolate milk, oh. and I guess it was STP Ooh. because I love. I had uh, a very good experiences with LSD and with mescaline but this thing was like about an hour later just uh, everything in my brain turned into like static electricity like the way the TVs used to be at three in the morning when there were no, no programs on no good and it was just hours of kind of just and I just kept telling myself this will uh, end this is gonna end <laughs> and that's, that's uh, you what know, you have to do and that's the whole great thing that's the great gift that those of us had, I think, who didn't have really bad trips, is is having a little voice that said, "This is this mm-hmm. is going to end." Yep. That that I I was by the grace of God, I was able to remember that. But boy, I was quite pleased when that one ended. Mm-hmm. But I didn't hesitate to just I, take it there to was take a lot. anything also, there was up a until lot of, that moment. After yeah. that, I I mm-hmm. started developing a little more of a filter. But uh, before that, I felt we're all brothers and sisters, and there was a lot of trust. You know, yeah, I had total faith in the movement. And I believe that there was a revolution, important revolution going, spiritual revolution yeah. going on, and it was most of it coming through music. And I think, I think George Harrison is his role in the movement is really underplayed. I mean, I think he he brought so much. He brought the East to the West to the for most people, even though Yogananda had been here since the early twenties. Yeah, but it was only academics and a certain kind of intellectual that knew about Vivekananda Yogananda. I completely agree with you. The Beatles, when they went and visited the Maharishi, I've been researching this. I mean it was front page news around the world. It was on the news that the Beatles were meeting with this Indian quote unquote holy man. And you know, that reached tens and tens of millions of people who were never gonna just read some book. So important. But George kept it on. 
George kept it going. No, he exuded it. Yes. He was the exemplar. Yeah. He was the friend of Ravi Shankar. Yes, he was the one he, who played the sitar. He, yeah. And, and, and uh, he, he did the first, didn't he do the first benefit concert? I mean, he was, he's very important in ways that people don't remember. I, I, com- I, I couldn't agree more. Well, the, the concert for Bangladesh was, was, I don't know if it was the first benefit concert, but it was the biggest benefit concert to date. It injected the notion that compassion for starving people was part of being cool. Yeah. You know, yeah. it made it that cool better. instead of it, it, instead of just something that boring do-gooders did. Yes, it, was it was the coolest massive. people in the world. Bob Dylan, George Harrison, Eric Clapton yeah, were doing this. <laughs> it was so, massively important. So, it, and he was human. He was married and he hit on me. Yeah. So he, I mean, he was a human being too. But he had, he was, he had, he'd been touched somehow. And I think people who have the desire to expand spiritually and help others expand spiritually. They're touched in some way, but they're still, you know, human beings. Foibles. Indeed. <laughs> so, uh, so what, how do you, um, in your own um, life, integrating these different things? Part of how you're making your living is not only teaching these, memo- uh, these classes about how to write, but also kind of giving uh, tours about the, the rock L.A. Mm-hmm. and where you're kind of uh, often uh, having to almost recreate in your own mind these experiences of knowing Jim Morrison or Hendrix yep, or yep. stories you've told hundreds of times, yeah. but each time... <laughs> You, you have How to do I try get it to, up for each time? You have to try to at least some of the time be alive with it and and um, and and to integrate that uh, world, which has a lot of tragedy along with inspiration. Mm-hmm. A lot of people died young. A lot of people mm-hmm. that we know died young. A lot of people who didn't die young kind of burned out in one way or another. Yeah. And a few people just didn't burn out right. and are these incredibly inspiring and, and the, people. And, and they're the ones who are still on tour you, you know, and making Bob zillions Dylan of or, dollars. Yeah. You, know, uh, you know, amazing. I, I'm a great fan. We were just talking before of, of, of Crosby, Stills, and Nash. I think all three of them have just continued to do really meaningful work in their 70s. Yep. But those are... Probably the exceptions. Yes, they are. Uh, a lot uh, of people burned out. Uh, they and, become and, a myth. And and, uh, and and you know what what is it that do you think that it's 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 uh, losing youth? Do, do you think a lot of that for some of them the idea of being a young person was so part of their role that they assigned to themselves mm-hmm. that they couldn't deal with the idea of aging? Well, that's a belief system. If you buy into that and believe it, that's what becomes of you. Yeah. <laughs> so, so I mean, for some of them, sure. They went on and did other things. I mean, as a woman who were – women are so much judged by the society. Youth is always a premium and looks and these kind of things. And, and you know, you've maintained this uh, vibrant spirit and aliveness. How do you do that? How do you not get caught up in – in, in these uh, patterns uh, of uh, success and failure that that can bum so many of us out. I really do believe it is t- living in the moment. And and if, if you're living right now, you can't fret too much about what happened before or what's about to happen. But And I do have to live in the past a lot or recreate it, like you said, yeah. because of these rock tours. But right. I see the people in front of me listening. They have this eager... They've never heard it. Right. So that's how I keep it alive because these people want to know. The question I get asked the most of all the questions, what was Jim Morrison really like? This is what people want to know because he's become <laughs> mythologized more than anybody else, I think, to huh. such a degree because of that 
dumb movie, which portrayed him as some mystic, you know. And so he he lives on in a different kind of way besides his music, which was incredible. But, you know, I have to tell these people, yes, he was a poet. He thought of himself as a poet, and the rock star thing was a lark, which was all true. You know, he said, oh, this is just temporary. This is just, I'm just doing this for a short time. I'm a poet. I'm going to write my poems. He carried his poetry book around. And so, you know, I'm happy to tell people that stuff. But then I also tell them, yes, about a year and two later, he became a big, heavyset, miserable drunk that slapped people around and slept in the gutter. So I'm very honest about yeah, it, too. Yeah, You know? Yeah, he didn't seem to me to, to be an enthusiast of sort of the hippie peace and love thing. He pretty much uh, They were kind everything. of in a separate lane, he right? He pretty much shunned the whole thing and saw it. It was all tongue-in-cheek to him. But then he got drunk. Then he got yeah. terribly drunk yeah, and just yeah. changed. Like some people, it alters them, and that he was one of those people. Yeah, yeah. Sad. Tragedy. Do you meditate? How do you do? You have any spiritual practice, or this is just sort of just oh this God. indwelling spring that I've you were born with? <laughs> I've had so many spiritual practices. I've worked with this teacher, Light, for twenty six, twenty seven years, and and what does working of... with her involve? <sighs> wow, I've done a lot of chanting. Um, I can't, you know, I do the mala beads and I chant. I've had so much, so many things happen during chanting that. You know, I have these incredibly otherworldly experiences. I go off into what is the lineage? Realms. Is it a, is it a Hindu, Buddhist, Chinese, uh, Native American? What is there a particular category of the chant that you could share with people? It's Indian. It's an Indian chant. Yeah, but there's there's several of them. There's several yeah. different ones that that I've done that she gives me right. that mean specific things. If yeah. I'm working on so Hindu, Hindu my like heart. Hindu, Hindu, Indian. Yeah. 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 Exactly. So. You know, I chant these things. And one time I remember, you know, I'm doing it for six months. You know, you do it X amount of time, 144 times or whatever. And all of a sudden I had this, my whole body got hot. Like I'd taken niacin, red and hot. And my pupils got enormous. (laughs) And I was like, what is going on? And luckily I was going to Joshua Tree the next day to see her. And she said, oh, that's the chant. And I went, why didn't you tell me that could happen? (laughs) (laughs) So... This stuff works. Yeah. You just, you know, if you utilize what, and, you know, I got into Eckhart Tolle. I, Krishnamurti was one of my early. Yes, I remember right. going with yeah. you and Michael yeah. to see Krishnamurti in Ohio. <sighs> yeah. Just sitting in front of the, a master like that gives yeah. you something. It lifts your spirit. I think it just, it, something magical happens. It's impossible to I was, a, Hilda loved Krishnamurti and spoke of him with great reverence, and mm-hmm. I knew that he was a higher being. I had a very hard time following what he was saying, to be honest with you. I, I, my brain just couldn't track what he was saying sometimes. He was always saying, the observer is, is the, the observed. observed. But, like, <laughs> but I bet you know now what that is. After all the other work you've done, that what that means. I couldn't grasp it either. I was... You know that stranger in a strange land. I couldn't grok it. I was yeah, like, yeah. I was like, okay, I know, I know. This is the truth. <laughs> I felt it in me as the truth. But, and I went over and over and over and over again. But now, uh, the modern gurus like Tolly have explained it in a much easier way, There's more accessible new, way. Yeah. The, have you Have you read uh, the Untethered Soul? No, I haven't. Oh my God, even more accessible. Huh. Just puts it like, okay, you think something, you got to stop it. Stop it. Stop those stupid thoughts in your head. Stop, stop, stop. Now, Tolley's said that for years, and Byron Katie and all these other people. But how but, do you stop thoughts? Well, it's not so much stopping them. It's looking at them and seeing how stupid they are is basically what it is. And like in meditation, when you watch them go by, right? right? You watch them go by. But watching them go by is different from thinking they're stupid. 
Okay. I'm not. I'm not making a judgment. I'm just saying it's, it's two different things. Yes, but I, I learned from light for you know many years to say stop. And for me, I go stop in the name of love because that song works for me. When I have a, a right. thought, a negative thought, right, which shatters the thought, right, it's gone. Right. So that's what I mean by stupid thought. Right. A negative right. thought is right. what I meant. Right. Right. And we have them all the time. Self-judgmental thoughts. You know, just nah, 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 nah. so this book, this untethered soul. The guy, Michael Singer, and in the first three pages, he puts it into words where, where you actually see the thoughts almost like real things. Like, and it's like <laughs> you, you laugh at them. It's good, Danny. You know, I'll it's definitely pick it book. up. I, I will. Yeah. I, I promise you <laughs> okay. and anyone listening, I will, okay. I will check this out. That's good. the magic of uh, Kindles and everything yeah, is you right can instant. get these things right away, you yeah. know. Yeah, the untethered soul. Thank you yeah. for that. Um, we were, you know, I, I speak to a lot of people of, of my generation, plus or minus a few years, and there's this, some of them will say, gee, we thought things were going to change so much. We were going to change the world. And I've been researching some of the, you know, the, the San Francisco Oracle, if you remember this sure, paper. I used to sell it. You know, the psychedelic <laughs> paper, and they'd have these yeah. long interviews with Allen Ginsberg, Alan Watts, and Tim Leary, mm-hmm. and the then Richard Alpert, who, you know, of course becomes Ram Dass, and, and other people of that of that scene. And there was this tremendous feeling, Gary Snyder, that, that oh, in 10 or 15 years, the entire country is going to change. We'll be, uh, the then Richard Alpert, my hero, and, you know, one of the great teachers I've ever been exposed to, said... Uh, Within eight years, there'll be a psychedelic majority, you know. <laughs> that was some really fancy <laughs> and, thinking. You know, and, and, and you would hear people talking about, you know, we're going to just break down society into, you know, smaller groups and cooperative and the power of money will change. And there were a lot of utopian notions that really didn't happen. And it's hard to really say, compared to 50 years ago, that ev- there are things that are definitely much Better certainly in terms of racial prejudice, sexism, homophobia, those things. There's real progress have been yes. made. There are, there are opportunities and more more of a appropriate context than there was then. And uh, the environmental movement slowly developed over time. It's not accomplishing everything we want, but at least it exists. It exists, yeah. And it didn't exist then. But boy, in some other areas, one would have to say. You know, and I know that a lot of people are excited that marijuana is finally getting to be legal, and I'm in favor of that, whether you smoke it or not. The idea of putting anyone in jail for it is I ridiculous. Too. I'm in favor of it, too. I don't you know, smoke it anymore, it's a, either. It's absurd, but, yeah. you know, and, and, and always was absurd. Mm-hmm. But, but, boy, in other ways, in terms of materialism, greed, the amount of suffering and poverty, the, the imbalance, the inequality, you know, things aren't that much better in certain, in certain areas. And in some indexes, worse, what... Did we do something wrong? Were we? Uh, We're very idealistic, you know. young, young idealists, right? Yeah. And the music we were listening to was telling us all these changes were going to happen. And I, we believed them. Yeah. And and like you said, a lot of them did come to fruition. There's just so many darn people in the world. And, yeah. And it's a small. Even then, it was a small amount of people who yeah. who, who thought we were going to change the right. world. Right. And so it's the same faction of people, the same people with the same kind of interests, are making a dent though. Yeah. So the dent is being made. The dent was made. It's being made. But there's less of us than there are people who are interested in that in that kind of thinking. Don't you? I mean, right? 
I, but yes, I, I was disappointed. Of I, course. I guess so. I mean, I'm grateful to be alive, and I and I believe that there's <laughs> uh, very important to look in thousands of years and not have a short attention span and think in one lifetime or in one decade everything gets fixed. That doesn't seem to where the universe was constructed. I'm 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 okay with it all, but I but I do feel bad. You know, this thing of getting older brings with it um, mixed blessings. There are good things about it. There are things that I'm actually happier about inside myself than I was when I was younger. But there is also a certain melancholy and a sense of disappointment that a lot of my friends uh, have been bringing up lately about mm. that kind of, gee, what was it all about? What oh. did we accomplish? You know, Aww. kind of a thing that I hear that a lot. So I'm always looking for ways to articulate something to say to them, you know. Uh, well, yeah. I am too. I, for you know, when I'm with the band came out and for many, many, many years I was – perceived by Gloria Steinem and a lot of the feminists as a submissive slut. And that has shifted. Right. And now I, one of the girls in class last night said, I'm a sex-positive feminist. And I went, yes. <laughs> I have been waiting so long to hear yeah. people believe yeah. that. Yeah. Because the word groupie, I know I'm regressing a little bit. No, but, no, this is helpful. I, but, I love hearing this. Yeah, but yeah. The, the word groupie um, was just a word at first for people who spent time with groups. And the people who couldn't get backstage or who, who men mainly, who, who saw us as they couldn't fuck us. So am I allowed to curse? Yes, yes, and yes. And they, yes. they, you know, and they, they, they saw us as submissive whores and, you know, and they were jealous. And so the word quickly became a very negative Pejorative. word. Well, and I think a lot of women had a judgmental attitude about it. Yes, they did too. Yes, yeah. they did too because they weren't getting backstage or they, they saw us as... as as just be humbling ourselves before the the halo of these gods, and that's not what it was. It was for real groupies. Of course, there were other girls who who did do some skanky things, you know. But God bless them. <laughs> I, I I don't judge them, and yeah. uh, but other people did. That's for sure. So I was judged along with them, even though I was on the jets with these people or whatever. Right. So I have been. My goal in this lifetime, besides trying to wake up, is. To, to redeem that word, and, right. and I have, and I believe that because of my work on this word and the books I've written, and the, uh, the you have changed have the meaning changed of the word. I think you word. have personally done that. I agree. <laughs> oh, good! I'm glad to hear that. that. It's yeah. changing. It's yeah. not changed because yeah. on Facebook, if I post a picture of me and Robert or Jimmy, what you know, a few guys will come on and call me a slut. Still, really, still on Facebook, huh. yeah. I have to block and delete them and call them misogynists and everything. And it's mostly guys that'll do that. Mostly guys, women? occasional yeah. women, huh. but mostly guys. Right. Mm-hmm. That's yeah. that's just so weird. Um, <laughs> talk, talk about you know on your website you list some of your heroes. So I'd love you to share some of that with people. Um, William Blake. William Blake to me was just th- these people are saints to me. Yes. Because they opened my soul to his poetry and his art. Just opened my soul. She, God, I had an experience with Blake that. In England, I was uh, doing Rock Bottom, a very difficult book to write about rock and roll tragedies, right? Yeah. And I was on my way home one rainy night after speaking to Chris Helmsworth. Do you remember him? you remember Chris Helmsworth? No. He, he was friendly with Sid Barrett, and it was a tough one to write. So anyway, I was, I was walking home, and I thought, I need a book to... to Sid Barrett was in Pink Floyd Pink and Floyd, died yeah. young, yes? Yeah, yeah. yes. Um, and I, I needed a book to just get me out of that, that whole nightmare so i picked up blake you know and i I got home i was in the 
bed, opened it up and read Tiger, Tiger for the 90 zillionth time. But something happened this time. Something happened, like happened with Whitman, where he was alive to me. And Tiger, Tiger, Burning Bride, you know, the, the line about he who made the lamb made the... Yeah. That was like his quill appeared in front of me, the quill that he wrote with, appeared in front of me in a 3D hologram and spun around in front of me. I was not stoned. Okay. Wow. Yeah. And, 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 and it was, and I burst into these tears and just like, it was one of the most miraculous moments in my life so far. And at the same time, I was finding the cards, you know, there's a whole system of, of learning about yourself through the playing cards, which were originally created to tell fortunes not to play games, but they had to hide it in games, huh. right? So there was a time when I was involved in the fourth way school, the Gurdjieff thing, where I was finding these cards all the time because each one means something. And the next day, I was, I was at the, it's, it's hard for me to tell this story, at the train station, buying my weekly pass, and I looked down on the ground. There was an entire deck of cards sitting on the ground in front of me. Right. So huh. I picked them up and I'm like, that's a whole deck of cards. What could that mean? I can't figure out what it means. Each one has a meaning, but a whole deck. Right. So I sat down in the train and I opened the cards up and it was two tiger heads. Oh, wow. The next day. Wow. <laughs> right. Yeah. So so I've had these kind of things that I re these moments that I know this is such a smidgen of what they're is in the big in the picture. universe, yeah. It's funny with that poem because my daughter five years ago had uh, life-threatening surgery. She, she, she burst a blood vessel in her stomach and I go up to wow. Providence. There, She's in ICU and tubes and she's Whoa. just getting her consciousness back. And I know by this time she's going to survive, but she's still, the tubes didn't come out for another day or two. And and uh, even though she was 20, she was because she was in this position, I said, do you want me to read something to you? And she said, yeah, what? I, I said, well, how about William Blake? And, oh. and I read that poem, oh. and it was a huge moment for me in terms of my oh. relationship with her, that, oh. that, that exact poem. And it's the only time I ever read it out loud in my life. You wow, know? how interesting. So I, I, well, uh, I, I'm also I, quite a fan of Yes, that, I uh, had this, the heart opening thing happen again, yeah. like when Hendrix played that chord for me. And when, yeah. Well, yeah. yeah. So it's so wonderful to know that you, you have these moments in their, their life altering to where your, your life expands yeah right? there's more yeah. to it that's more to all. it than <laughs> yeah. just whatever mood you're in at the yes. moment yes yeah. and what about uh Rumi, another another name well on he's your just list. another one of my heroes yeah. because of how his poetry touches my soul and does something to it it pings it right yeah. it reminds me my soul is is what's really counts <laughs> this is just a shell and you know take care of it but you know yeah yeah so so all these great whitman too whitman Whitman is like my soul brother. He has appeared to me in a hologram, too. He mm. just appears. He bowed to me one time. I was reading. At, well, actually, Terrence Trent Darby was reading aloud to me. Mm. He's the one who turned, returned me on to Whitman. And Wow. I, I, uh, interesting. Yeah, he, you know his name San, Sananda Matreya now, right? Do you know no. that about him? Oh, you go. Oh, I'll tell you about that later. Anyway, <laughs> he, he appeared to both of us. We both saw him. Huh. And he, he tipped his hat and, you know... After the whole reading, I said, "Did you see anything while you while you were reading?" He said, "Yeah, Walt Whitman stood right over there. We both wow. saw it. You both saw it yeah. at the same time. Yeah, same isn't place. that chill-inducing? It oh, it's so wonderful. So cool. Yeah. <laughs> so there's no separation really. 
I, I believe in uh, that there's no separation between our spirits ever, and, you know, our lifetimes are all simultaneous. I mean, that's a whole yeah. other thing we could go into. <laughs> and so what's inspiring you now? Is there anything in the contemporary cultural landscape, things recently that have made you feel uh, expanded in the way that hmm. you describe these things? Well, I'm still, uh, those are all my heroes I still have those experiences with. But there are certain musicians that, you know, I love Todd Snyder. He always wakes me up. You know, he, he points out human reality that we're, that make us all feel united. I'm always looking for somebody who who can make us feel connected. Because otherwise, we're walking down these separate pathways and we don't need to be, you know. But I don't know. God, I read tons of books. I watch a lot of TV. <laughs> uh, you know, I... There's so much great TV going on, and I, I love to see great acting. I love to, you know, I love live music. It's just I don't stop. But you know what's inspiring the most lately? Me. I'm inspiring myself. <laughs> <laughs> I really am. I'm 67 years old, and I just don't accept it, you know. That's another thing. We can't, we can't, we don't have to accept our age. We just do not have to. I met a, a, a artist, Beatrice Wood. When I was, you know, in my probably early 40s, and mm. she was in her 80s. Do you know Beatrice Wood? I know of her. I never met her. I know of her, yeah. She lived to over 100, yes? Yes, she yeah. lived to be 100. And she was creative and right she, till the end. Right yeah. till the end. Yeah. And she dressed real flamboyantly and wore red lipstick. And, you know, one of her quotes was, "You, so what, what keeps you so young? And she said, chocolate and young men, you know? <laughs> yes, yes. Yeah. There's no reason why you have to give in to anything. Yeah. So I, that's why I'm trying to inspire myself in that way. I have moments, you know, when I have a creaky knee or something, but just got to keep moving forward. Before we end, another person who lived to be very, very old and was vibrant was Robert Bitzer, who you introduced me <laughs> yes. to in L.A. And, yes. and t talk about him, because I don't meet many people who know about him. Well, he was one of the founders of the Science of Mind, Church of Religious Science. He and was like 95 he, when you were taking me to see him. Well, he was, He, I think he died around that age. Okay. Uh, yeah, I started going when he was in his mid-80s. So I, I went to that church for about 10 years every Sunday. And it and was in Hollywood? It was the Hollywood Church of Religious Science. And he made me see things in a way, he was one of the huge ones in my life, made me see things in a whole way that I hadn't thought about it. Like, for instance, he quoted Jesus a lot, so it helped me. They, Jesus was one of the people they they spoke a lot of and quoted. And uh, he said that when Jesus said, turn the other cheek, it was to get another viewpoint, not to get mm. smacked in the face again. Wow. And so there were. That's beautiful. I know. You see it another way, right? So right. that. So he had many things he said like that that shifted my consciousness on the spot. Right. So it uplifted me, made me see things newly, and and every week I'd go see him. It was great. Are there tapes of him? Did he write books? I don't. I, I, again, got I, some I, tapes I only knew of him, him through you. I he, don't. He, and he doesn't a, seem to be in conversations I have as much. He but, has a few slim volumes. Yeah. You know, but yeah, I think you could probably get them. I think they're, they're still available. Yeah, he, I'm sure. He did one on 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 suffering uh, when you lose someone, and I used to pass those out when people friends or family members died and it really helped because they don't believe there's an end to the soul either of course was 
I never exactly understood the source of the philosophy. A lot of it had to do with the tremendous belief in in positive thinking. Yes, exactly. And that was that was a huge pillar of the message. And he was such a positive yes. being that just yeah. sort of being in a room hearing he him talk made you. That, yeah. He exuded that. Yeah. But I never really got what was there. Was there sort of a philosophy behind it? Yeah, the philosophy was that scientifically, your thoughts create your world. Your thoughts create what happens to you, and your belief system creates your world. And that yeah. was very early on, way before Tolley and all these other yeah. people were saying it. So, but yes, that yeah. that that was the guiding principle of it. So I started watching my dumb thoughts way back then, and I'm still watching them. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, <laughs> let's keep watching our thoughts and okay. uh, let's keep uh, in the space of love. Thank you so much for doing this. Thank this has exceeded my expectations. Uh, oh, good. That's Thank good. You. <laughs> okay. And they were high. <laughs> Yay. 